Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. There are two ages in the kingdom of God. The first age is by faith. The way that you experience the kingdom is by faith. The second age is by sight. Jesus, when he came to earth and he inaugurated, he he launched his kingdom, then after his crucifixion and resurrection, ascended up into heaven, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. So right now, God is building his church with Jesus as king of the universe, seated in heaven. So right now, we live by faith. We, t- we participate in the kingdom by faith because the kingdom is invisible. Right now, we can't see King Jesus. He's not in this room checking in on us. Uh, he is here by his spirit. He is not here in bodily form. He is here by the spirit. So we see the effects of his kingdom in transformed and changed lives. And we participate and are a part of his kingdom by faith. So we read scripture and we allow scripture to reimagine our lives for us. We open scripture with a humble posture of whatever you say, Jesus, is what we're going to do. That's what, it, that's what it lo- it's like to live by faith in the kingdom now. But one day Jesus is going to come back. And those who commit to living by faith in his kingdom now by prioritizing God's values through scripture, through conversational relationship and prayer, through gathering in community with deep intimacy, deep family intimacy in the body of Christ, those who are committed to live by faith now will be rewarded when Jesus returns and we live by sight in the kingdom. We can actually see Jesus and experience directly the effects of his kingdom. In Advent, we remember that Jesus came, he launched, he inaugurated the kingdom, and then we look forward to when Jesus comes back one day and rules in person. There's a difference between the word erupt and erupt. Erupt is, what do you think of when I say the word erupt? Think of a volcano, it's something inside moving outwards explosively that's erupt something inside moving outwards erupt especially theologically when we think of this term it's something outside moving inward something outside of us moving toward us and that's how the kingdom of god is working right now in this period of history the kingdom of god erupted came to us from outside when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That's how the kingdom was launched. It's the inbreaking of the kingdom of God through Jesus in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. And this kingdom is unstoppable. And Jesus would often speak of if you have eyes to see it, if you have eyes of faith, you will see the kingdom spreading across the earth. And there will be a point when we see it by sight, and there's a a beautiful prophecy in Habakkuk 2.14 that says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters 
cover the sea. There will be a day in the future on this earth where the glory and the majesty and the power of God is here present and our knowledge of that glory and power, our experience of that will cover the entire earth as though the entire earth were under the sea. So right now we're in this precious time in world history where we have a choice to make to be a part of this kingdom or to watch from an outsider's perspective as it blossoms across the globe. It doesn't matter if you're a lawyer or a teacher, it doesn't matter if you're blue collar or white collar, Jesus doesn't care, everybody's invited to be a part of this kingdom. It doesn't matter if you're the president of the United States, one of the most powerful persons in the world. And in today's scripture passage, we're going to learn about a man who was very powerful in Jesus' day, who had every opportunity to know about Jesus' erupting kingdom on earth that would eventually cover the entire earth with the glory of its king. And he had every opportunity to yield to this king and to publicly acknowledge this king and to make way for this king. But instead, he chose to try to kill this king. It was a very boneheaded move. Imagine Jesus, 2,000 years ago, appearing, having the appearance of vulnerability. He was a baby, completely dependent on the people around him to survive. Small, fragile, that's how he appeared. And yet standing at the ready, just behind the veil of the invisible, are legions of angels at the ready to protect and guard this precious king's life. And here this mortal man, Herod, whose very breath depended on the one he was attempting to kill, decided to take his shot at assassinating the king of the universe. And he was going to do it while Jesus was still a toddler. So I want to read together. If you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 2. And we're just going to walk through this passage verse by verse and try to understand what was happening in the mind of Herod and in God's sovereign protection of the Father's sovereign protection of his son. Matthew chapter 2. Starting with verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now these wise men from the east, I learned in my studies, uh, worked in the courts of Persia and, and Arabia, and they were... They, were, they had blurred the line between astronomy and astrology, so they did have some scientific understanding, but they also had some uh, superstitious understanding of like celestial lights and the planets, and, but they were, they were very wise people. They were, they were magi, and they were also kingmakers. Um, a lot of people believed that they were kind of the puppet masters behind the scenes that were controlling the real people that were apparently in power, like kings. They were um, the Illuminati behind the scenes controlling all of the politics of the world. 
And the Magi had the power to either promote a person to king or demote a king. They, had, they were given a lot of power because people believed they had supernatural wisdom. So these Magi were coming to town looking for a king. And even Nero, who we talked about before, was incredibly vicious towards Christians did some horrific things to Christians to try to snuff out Christianity. Even he got nervous when the Magi came to town. Verse two, saying, where is he, so the Magi come to town and they're asking this question, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So they saw his star. Apparently there was a celestial light that wasn't there before. It was a new light in the sky. And the Magi believed that was a sign that the cosmos was, um, was bringing a new king to earth. So they didn't recognize that light. They saw it, and God condescended to the way that they would determine who a king was, and eventually it led them to Jesus, where they had the proper response of falling down and worshiping him. But they were just thinking this was just a new earthly king at first. So they follow this light to Jerusalem. Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. So Herod was obviously troubled because it was this new king was a threat to his power. He heard these people talking about who is, where's this new king of the Jews? And Herod's like, I thought I was king of the Jews. Who is this person that's a threat to my power? So that's why he was troubled by this. But why was the rest of Jerusalem troubled? Why were they worried about this? Because Herod had a reputation of when anyone was a threat to his power, they kind of just disappeared. He wasn't afraid to kill people. It didn't matter who it was. He killed his favorite wife. He had like 10 wives, and his favorite one of all the 10, isn't that nice, uh, was had an affair and he ended up killing her for that he killed his mother-in-law he killed a few of his sons the guy was unhinged and the reason why the rest of jerusalem was worried the reason why they were scared the reason why they were nervous is because herod was triggered he just found out that someone else was going to be a threat to his power and they got nervous because they knew heads were going to roll so everyone's like on edge, what's Herod going to do that now that he's found out about this, now that people, magi, are in town looking for this new king? And he had a fine tightrope to walk because he didn't want to anger the magi. There's a different tension in here that um, I probably won't be able to elaborate on a lot, but he was, he was careful. He didn't want to offend the magi because they could demote him. They were more powerful than the Roman Senate. But he also didn't want this Jesus to live. He didn't want there to be a threat to his kingdom. Verse 4, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So he's familiar with the prophecies, but he doesn't know enough of the details. So he gathers these religious leaders and he starts to scheme. You know, he's going to try to control the situation. He starts to plan to figure out how he can snuff this Jesus out. Verse 5, they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means among the rulers of Judah, the least among the rulers of Judah. 
For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now Matthew's quoting Micah, who's a minor prophet in the Old Testament. And this prophecy was written some 700 years before Matthew wrote this. It teaches us a couple interesting things. One thing that this points to is that the entire Old Testament points to Jesus in one way or another, either through prophecies or through symbolism, metaphorical stories, analogies, all of the Old Testament points to Jesus. It's not, the Old Testament isn't some, you know, it's, it's necessary to read because you're supposed to read through the Bible, but it doesn't really have a lot for us today. The Old Testament is extremely important to us today because it's what holds, it's all of these strings and strands that are weaved together in this very strong cord that ends with Jesus in the New Testament. All of the Bible is God coming to rescue humanity through the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus. So the Old Testament is incredibly important. And this is a prophecy from the Old Testament. The other thing that's interesting about this, we can be reminded, is that um, the Bible's a, unique, a very unique book in world history because it tells you what's gonna happen and then it fast forwards hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later and it tells you how it happened. The Bible predicts the future and then records the history it predicted. Incredible. So Herod hears that Christ was to be born in Bethlehem, so he's got the location. Verse seven, then, got the location now, I'm scheming, I'm plotting, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. So Herod's doing the math. He's got the location pinpointed. Now he's got to get the time. He's putting it all together. Verse 8. And he sent them to Bethlehem, sent the Magi to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Do you believe him? After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. He would have been a, a toddler. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. There's some beautiful <laughs> things in here that I'm not going to talk about. You can study this on your own and read this more on your own. There's some amazing symbolism in the gifts of the Magi gave to Jesus. It's important that they fell down and worshipped him when they saw him. The Magi weren't people who worshipped other human beings. But what I want us to focus on, since we're talking about Herod, is God's providential protection of his son. Here's just a life principle. When God is in something, 
There are no loose ends. He covers everything. There aren't any details that he forgets about. And he will not get outwitted by Herod. So he warns the Magi in a dream not to go back to Herod. And now he has to deal with um, Joseph and Mary and the toddler Jesus. He has to get them out of there because Herod knows now the approximate location of where they are. So what does he do? Verse 13, after the Magi leave and are on their way, they're not going to go see Herod again. They're just going to go home another way. Verse 13 says, now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Israel was a nation that was sent into Egypt through a series of providential circumstances and then was sent out of Egypt again. It's a picture of the life of Jesus. Jesus was the new, perfect Israel. But this is another prophecy. Out of Egypt I called my son. It comes from an Old Testament book called Hosea. Again, written some 700 years prior to Matthew writing this. But meanwhile, Herod hears about this and he's not happy. Verse 16, then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. In a fit of rage, Herod just decides to kill them all. His planning and his strategy wasn't working. He wanted to do, be a pinpoint assassin and when that didn't work, he was going to just destroy everybody in hopes that Jesus was in the crowd. Verse 17, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Another prophecy. Jeremiah was written 600 years prior to this. As a side note, why are there so many prophecies that Matthew is writing and using in this? Why does he quote the Old Testament so much? Things that were said hundreds and hundreds of years previous to his writing of Matthew. Well, the reason is because Matthew was originally written to Jewish Christians. And Jewish Christians knew the Old Testament really, really, really well. And so Matthew was connecting the dots for them in order to strengthen their faith. He was saying, see, this, this was said to be true about the coming Messiah, boom, it lines up here. This was said to be true about the coming Messiah, boom, it lines up here. This was said to be true about the, king, the coming King and Messiah, boom, it lines up here. He was, he was connecting the dots for them in order to strengthen their faith and show them, see, this is the Messiah. This is the anointed one. This Jesus is our King. 
So that's why he connected the dots to so many of these Old Testament prophecies, and it does the same to strengthen our faith today. Verse 19, but when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel for those who sought the child's life are dead. Here's what I want you to see. Herod, a very powerful man, one day decided he was going to oppose Jesus and his kingdom. In fact, Herod's very life serves as an example for us of the futility of opposing Jesus and his kingdom. And Herod decided to use everything at his disposal to oppose Jesus. He had power. He had money. He had authority. He had the backing of the Roman Senate, the greatest nation on earth. And he leveraged all of it to try to stop this unstoppable force that is the kingdom of God. At first he calculated, he schemed, he gathered the religious leaders to find out where the king was supposed to be born. He gathered the magi to figure out the timing of it. He asked the magi to return to him after they found Jesus so he knew exactly where he was so he could assassinate him as a toddler. But his perfect plan doesn't play out like he designed it, so he goes into a fit of rage. He becomes even more unhinged. He throws a colossal tantrum and kills every young boy that fits into Jesus' age. Herod does everything he can to shut it down, doesn't he? Everything. And God whispers something into the ear of a couple of guys while they're sleeping and thwarts it all. Herod had all the earthly power, authority, and resources, and God, in probably less than a minute's worth of activity while people were sleeping, completely shuts it down. Man's power versus God's power. Scripture gives Herod three words at the end, when Herod died. There's a finality about that, isn't there? startling finality he was an afterthought to the kingdom a gnat that was trying to oppose a king reminds me of a scene from the book of revelation there's a field in the middle east right now that exists that john when he had this vision on the island of patmos saw and he saw this cosmic battle at the end of the age when Jesus returns. Revelation's tough because it, there's symbolism and reality. They're all intertwined and you have to do the hard work of figuring out which is which and what does this mean and what does that mean. It's a tough book. So there's symbolism and there's reality in this vision that John has, but there's a field in the Middle East and the field is called Armageddon. And John describes a, a vision that he saw at the end of time, all the kings of the earth, all the evil, wicked, Satan-empowered kings of the earth that are opposing Jesus and his kingdom, and all the mighty warriors and mighty men of the earth that are opposing Jesus and his kingdom, they all gather at this field, and they begin to scheme of how we're going to shut Jesus down how we're going to end this kingdom 
how we're going to prevent it from coming into full force. And these are the most powerful people on earth. All working together, unified to shut Jesus down. One last-ditch effort by Satan to prevent the inevitable from happening. And John says he looked up to heaven and he saw the heavens open. And he saw Jesus coming out of heaven on a white horse with, a, with clothes that were dipped in blood, with a name that only he knew, nobody else in the universe. And on his thighs were written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And in his train was an army of angels from heaven, all with splendid white clothing. And there was a, an angel in the sun and the angel called all the birds of the earth and said, you are about to feast. The Lord is about to provide a feast for you. And Jesus comes down to earth and in a word, this isn't like a brave heart battle where all the angels have swords and they're fighting all the kings. Jesus speaks and everyone falls on the ground and dies. It's kind of like in the garden when people came to arrest Jesus and Jesus spoke. Remember what happened? Everybody fell. Jesus comes down to the field, everybody falls, and the last sentence of that section says that all the birds of the air gorged themselves on the flesh of the kings. Merry Christmas. <laughs> the lesson we learn from the life of Herod is the kingdom of God will not be opposed. And that's comfort for us, and it's also sobering. To stand in opposition to Jesus is a fruitless, vain, and dangerous endeavor. But I don't want to end with the, the scary part of that, because there's really, really good news. I want to end with a prophecy that has not been fulfilled yet. Because the Bible is filled with prophecies that have been fulfilled and it records where those have been fulfilled, but it also gives us new prophecies that have not been fulfilled yet. And God bats a thousand in these prophecies. He doesn't miss. Everything that he says happens. Here's one that we have to look forward to. And this is how I want to end it. This is the reminder that Christmas is about a seed of the kingdom that was planted that will grow and will cover the earth. And we can be a part of it or we can stand by and be bystanders and watch and not be allowed into the kingdom when we see it by sight. This is a vision of the day it comes and we get to receive it by sight. It's again John in Revelation chapter 21 verses 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth that we live on now had passed away, and the sea was no more. The sea represents chaos and evil in scripture, unknown darkness, the chaotic waters, and there is no more darkness, there is no more chaos. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. The new heaven and the new earth is gonna be a, a garden city. 
It's going to be a beautiful. It's going to be this beautiful hybrid of cities where, with people living together in perfect harmony, community, and a garden. The peace and the joy and the beauty of creation and the raw both will be represented in this new heaven, new earth. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, "Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man." He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Right now, our king is not here with us in person, so there's still chaos, there's still pain, there's still hurt in this world. But when Jesus returns and he's with us in person, there will no longer be any of that. What we live by faith now and ask God to make more and more true, his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, we will live by sight then and it will be completely true. We'll never have to pray that again because it'll be here. What will Jesus do? He'll wipe every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That will happen. That will be a historical event. That will inaugurate the second age of the kingdom, and that is living in it by sight forever and ever and ever. And the Bible invites us to imagine in different parts of that, to imagine what that day will be like and what eternity, eternity will be like. And to be honest, your imagination won't do it justice. It's fun to think about it and dream about it. We should think about that day every day because that's what energizes our life. That's what focuses our life. If we're not thinking about that day constantly, we're going to get sidetracked by lesser important things. But that's what Jesus launched when he was born. And that's what we have to look forward to. Any attempt to oppose the kingdom of God will be thwarted. God won't be outwitted by anybody. You can take comfort and have great joy that he wins in the end. And we get to be with him. I'll take a moment just to um, allow for any questions if you have any. And if not, I'll pray and the, the music team can come on down. All right, let me pray. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.